Hey there, I'm Christopher Schoenwald, and welcome to Life As A, a show intently focused on helping people find their professional pathway by exploring and unearthing the details of jobs from around the world. What would it be like to be a mechanical designer? You know, somebody who technically designs products from scratch with an aim on mass production. Well, I've got you covered. I've got this great guest lined up. He has worked for some of the biggest outdoor and sports brands in the world, like Puma, Black Diamond, and a bunch of others. And not only that, he's personally worked with celebrated athletes like Tiger Woods, Vijay Singh, and Usain Bolt, to name a few. On this episode, we dive into this world of mechanical design. And the cool thing here is, you know, listeners who have been keeping track and following along with the program will probably notice that we actually had an industrial designer on and these two professions work very closely. And not only that, this guest, this mechanical designer, if you're keeping up with me here, is brothers with the industrial designer that I just had on the week before. So we kind of get into that a little bit too, the dynamic of those two, how they work together. Not only that, there's this really cool story involving Vijay Singh, the pro golfer. At one point, he was number one in the world. And uh, yeah, my guest today has this really fun story involving him. So you want to catch that. So whether you're into engineering or not, whether you're into product design or not, that is fine. I think you're really going to enjoy this episode anyways. Tons of interesting stuff. So yeah, let me more formally introduce you to him and uh, we'll get into it. Rob Horacek is one of the co-founders and the technical lead at Anomaly, an award-winning, industry-disrupting product design firm. His prowess within product design stems from an education in mechanical engineering at Boston University and Dresden University of Technology in Germany. Further, his many years of experience working with internal R&D teams at major brands and time spent along entrepreneurs and startup companies, leading them through the product creation process, have provided him with much insight, knowledge, and awareness as per consumer design needs. Now, his specialties are wide and varied, including, but not limited, to advanced engineering analysis, rapid prototyping and 3D printing, as well as 3D CAD and design for manufacturing. Rob has a ton of experience in producing all types of consumer products. However, much of his work within Anomaly is centered on athletic innovation and wearable technology. Whether designing extreme sports equipment for top brands, including Puma, or for celebrated athletes, the quality of his craftsmanship has amounted to much buzz and plenty of accolades. His product designs have produced multiple awards over the past decade from widely respected organizations, publications, and design thinking firms not limited to, get ready for this, Backpacker Magazine, Outside Magazine, Red Dot Design Award, yeah, that's a biggie, popular science, and of course, several others. Not only that, many of his creations have been worn by the likes of professional golfers like Vijay Singh, footballers, Olympic sprinters like Usain Bolt, World Cup skiers, as well as public figures including Rihanna and Michelle Obama. So with all that stated, here's my conversation with Rob Horacek. I mean, it's an absolute pleasure to welcome the program. Hey, how are you doing? Good, good. Thanks so much. Great. How are you doing? Yeah, excellent. Yeah, really looking forward to this talk. Um, you know, for listeners who are just tuning in right now, too, 
what's interesting about this conversation, let me set, set it up here, is that I had Rob's brother Ray on recently, who is an industrial designer. So I think the pairing of the two of you guys, I think it's going to make for a really sort of compelling look at you know, what, what you guys do and how a product, you know, works its way through from conceptualizing right on through to, to the real world and applications and whatnot. So with all that stated, again, super excited for this conversation. And uh, why don't we just launch right into it? I do have this okay, first segment. Yeah, this first segment lined up, something called Coloring Wikipedia. As my listeners know, it's a segment where I just read off a definition of what the guest does or sometimes their industry. I do it for a couple of reasons. I mean, one, it brings everybody up to speed on what, you know, the profession sort of entails. But then also, too, I think it's interesting in the sense that sometimes we put, you know, our own stamp on the job itself. We might hold the same titles in different regions of the world, but yet the roles and responsibilities might be a little different. So anyway, I think it is pretty interesting to, to kind of examine it from that perspective. And I do have you down, obviously, as a mechanical designer. So let me just read that off for you, Rob. And uh, maybe after you could share your thoughts. Does that sound all right? Yep, sounds great. All right, here we go. So mechanical designer. A mechanical designer or drafter is a design specialist who uses engineer specifications to create technical illustrations for machines. They also use computer-aided design, CAD, or CAD programs to create detailed machine models. Mechanical designers work closely with engineers, other design specialists, and safety staff to ensure machine designs are functional, efficient, and safe. These design professionals usually adhere to mechanical engineer instructions to help create designs during the drafting process, or further improve existing ones. Bit of a mouthful, bit of a funny line at the end there. Uh, these design professionals usually adhere to mechanical engineer instructions. I thought that was funny, but I'll let, uh, I'll let you take it from here. What, what are your first takes on this definition? Yeah, for sure. And there's, there's so many different types of engineers, and, and even within mechanical engineering and design engineering, there's so many different avenues and types. So I think it's, it's quite broad, which makes sense. I would say, you know, there's manufacturing engineering, there's aerospace, there's biomed, obviously we're in consumer product, uh, and each of those are going to be a little bit different. So I'm going to speak to basically consumer product, which is, you know, I'm, I'm more specifically in kind of uh, sports equipment and, and wearables and that kind of thing, but it's exactly the same as any other kind of consumer product. So I would say that what's interesting from that definition to me is that I think there's a lot more creativity in it than you kind of hear there. So it sounds very tricked on the kind of drafting and drawing and mechanical specifications. And that's all part of it for sure. But I think it's really the bigger picture, I'd say, is it's problem solving. So it's kind of how do we make a better solution to whatever the need is out there than what exists? And if we're working on it, it means it hasn't been done before. We're, we're always working on something new, something different. We're not just kind of copycat, you know, just recreating what's already there which inherently means there's a lot of creativity and innovation that, that needs to happen, which is a whole you know long process. But I would say that the the parts I would like to add to that definition are really kind of the 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 brainstorming, the concepting throughout the process, then you know, getting over hurdles and coming up with with uh solutions to kind of unique challenges that that you come across. Yeah, so. definitely. I mean that that was something that struck me as a complete outsider as well. It it did read as really really technical and uh with my limited knowledge of of your field even like I could sort of understand that there's probably a lot more than that and to the points that you were just speaking of, you know, problem solving, the the creative elements, the creativity that's involved in this. And again, in you know, in welcoming your brother to the program, 
you know, as an industrial designer, he does speak a lot about those points, you know, and, and, and how his work pairs up with the work of you as far as blending these two worlds of some of these technical elements and, and bringing them to life in, in, in such ways that are going to resonate with people that are going to have impact as far as they're visually striking, perhaps, but then also, too, they're able to, to actually provide value to people. So I, I think it's really interesting in that sense. And it's another reason why I'm excited for this talk. But maybe we could actually slide into this other segment here, A Day in the Life. And uh, I'd love to know a little bit more about, you know, when you are involved in a product, you know, what, what would be a typical flow for you during a day or maybe even a week for that matter? Yeah, I'll, I'll put it more in terms of a week, just because sometimes you're so focused one day on one thing and the next on the, on the other. But I would say probably half my time is in CAD. So a 3D CAD, basically a tool like any other tool to help you model, visualize, eventually produce 3D prints and renders and that kind of thing. So CAD is really the main tool. That's kind of where a lot of things happen. So at least half the time in that. So it is pretty software intensive. It is nice also to kind of get out of the CAD box and, and get into the real world a bit. You know, we're making things that need to be used by people and need to be physically used, you know, outside. So very much so we need a, a testing component. So there's after the CAD, we, we do 3D prints, then we have uh, assembly and testing. There's, you know, any range of testing, whether it's with athletes or professionals or normal consumers or focus groups, or there can be lab testing, durability testing, us kind of just doing our own homegrown experiments. So there's a huge testing component. With the prototypes, there's a lot of, uh, again, the, the assembly and the hands-on side is something I really like. So again, imagine a workshop where you have a bunch of tools and you need to take these 3D prints and and tap holes and, you know, many different ways of, of finding, well, finding clever ways to prototype things using what you've got. Sometimes it's 3D prints. Sometimes it's, you know, just kind of a, a collection of things you can find to get the job done. Uh, so I, I do enjoy the, the hands-on side of it. There's FEA, finite element analysis, which is kind of the more advanced engineering analysis. That's basically taking a CAD file and applying loads and applying uh, real life forces to the CAD model. So you're basically predicting it before you actually make something, uh, which we do sometimes depending on the project, pretty powerful stuff. Uh, you have design reviews with clients. You have other calls with lots of people we collaborate with, uh, the manufacturers, the electrical engineers, uh, that kind of thing. You have you know, some management and some kind of people side of it. You have the the most fun part is the the kind of sketching and concepting. So you have a notebook and, you know, it's kind of, can get a bit more creative again. Uh, it's a it's a much smaller percent of the process, but, but my my most uh, favorite. Yeah, part. it sounds like you're getting pulled in a lot of different directions there. But uh, in, yeah. in speaking from experience of having lots of guests on this show, th this always seems to come up where like the more hats that they're wearing, the, the greater level of fulfillment and reward ultimately for it. Again, there can be moments of stress, I'm sure, in all of this, and you you really want to. I'm guessing as a mechanical engineer, you really want to sink yourself into the product and keep improving it, improving it, but understanding that you do have to speak with this person or you do have to you know interact with this individual at times and that must be you know the moments of stress but then also too again when you kind of like pull your head out of the sand and you look at the bigger picture moments of reward as well because it's like when it does finally amount to that product getting into the market and being received hopefully well you know uh the reward's got to be there am i into something there is that does that make sense yeah for sure for sure the, the some of the most stressful moments are when you have a professional athlete that you're working with and you know, the, the stakes are high and you've put a lot of work in preparation for that. So they can be very stressful. But as you say, I mean, that, that can be some of the most kind of 
fun, rewarding parts, as well as, you know, great learning experiences, ways to make the product better. I think the variety you mentioned is important as well. I think it's, it's at least for my personality, it's nice to not just be in CAD 40 hours a week or just be on the road 40 hours a week. It's nice to to do a little bit of, of the variety. And, and for me, mechanical engineering, I think is is nice that it, it offers that. Even with the the way that we set up Anomaly to, to basically be a consulting design firm, it's nice as far as the variety of projects go too. So from one day to another or one week to another, can be working on very different types of products. And I think that variety kind of keeps the creativity, keeps the interest, as well as the learning uh, going for us as well. Really so. quickly, I'm sure this would vary. I'm sure it would vary product to product, but how long would it take from conceptualizing something, like sketching something out, and then finally getting it to a point where you know it would be ready for the market? Again, I'm, I know it's probably going to vary product to product, but you know, roughly speaking, for somebody who would have no idea, like myself, and maybe for some listeners as well, what, what would you say to that? Shockingly long. <laughs> it's 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 way way longer than people think. Uh, I would say minimum six months if it's a very simple product and you're going as fast as possible. We would say probably about a year, year and a half is the most typical okay. length. So even something like a trekking pole, it doesn't sound that intense, yeah. would still take minimum a year, yeah. likely a year and a half. We've had things up to about three years if it's more like an advanced project where it's super revolutionary and new materials and you know more difficult types of, of uh, industries. So yeah, I would say... Uh, six months to three years and, and and very, very long, actually. To be honest, I mean, that didn't surprise me all that much. I thought you were going to say something longer the way you're setting it up there. <laughs> okay. Follow-up question really quickly here, too. I know we're kind of diving into it already, but as far as like this evolution of 3D printing, has that, you know, helped cut that time down at all? Or is that just an, an added component to it all, but it hasn't really affected like timelines necessarily? Yeah, for sure. It, it's helped. Um, so things that sometimes would have taken a month to get a tool or a CNC part made, you can get in a few days and the materials are getting better. So 3D printing absolutely helps that. What we end up finding is that I would say we just do more iteration. So sometimes things move quickly overall, but the entire process is so iterative that if we can do more iterations, it gets better every time. And so I'd say we just do more iteration than we used to as well. So a bit of both. Yeah. All right. Well, why don't we slide into another segment here, something called Pathways. And the aim of this segment here is to kind of illustrate that as professionals, oftentimes th this journey that we're on and where we ultimately end up isn't this straight line. It isn't so linear. And I think it's inspirational, especially for young people to kind of hear this, that they don't necessarily have to, to worry about having everything lined up and knowing exactly what they're going to do before they end up in their, their, their dream job. And I say, uh, you know, finger quote that. So, you know, off the top, I lightly introduced, you know, what you do at Anomaly and uh, that company itself being focused on athletic innovation, wearable technology. In the course of researching for this talk, I understand that you're a bit of a sportsman yourself. So I can see that connection there, you know, with sports and whatnot. But as far as the engineering side goes, I'd love to know what kind of pulled you into that direction. And uh, maybe we could hear a little bit more about your backstory as far as that goes. Yeah, for sure. I'd say kind of two main things growing up, besides being into math and science, you know, I was a bit on that side of the spectrum in school. But, you know, it, what really kind of got me into engineering, I would say is, I don't know if you've ever heard of a program called Odyssey of the Mind. It was something yeah. we had growing up that it was a, a creativity competition, essentially, uh, a team of seven people, and you you were given a challenge at the beginning of the school year. And it was all outside of school, you were working on solutions to this that would then present be presented at the end of the year. There were technical aspects, gadgets that needed to solve certain functions, and there were also theatrical and artistic elements that you were graded on. And that competition was, we we were really, really into it. 
Uh, that was, I guess, my main thing growing up. Did it for about eight years. And that, and just to note that now it's called Destination Imagination. So for anybody who's considering it, the, there's kind of two programs, but that's the main one now. And just to say that it was, it really was, I mean, as far as the creativity, but also just like the the creation, you know, just kind of given this challenge, needing to solve it and in very hands-on ways. And, you know, we didn't have any of the education, the formal education at that time, but you were still able to figure things out and make things work. And it was something very fun and satisfying. And I think for me, for sure, that was probably, never mind the closest thing to what I do now, but it was also like very directly, I think, why I even knew engineering existed and kind of throughout, you know, middle school and high school was pretty clearly pointing me towards engineering. And the second factor, a bit smaller, would be that I had a wood shop growing up. And so I spent quite a bit of time in the workshop and just making things out of wood and lathes and bandsaws and, you know, just like any kid playing around. But but again, that was also very similar to a lot of the time I spend in the workshop now with prototypes. And and I've always kind of loved that hands-on. So so that was a bit similar as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I guess as you're kind of like going through these programs and also, you know, understanding that what you like and what you're just explaining as far as some of your activities in your youth, was there some sort of direction? Like somebody's like, well, maybe you should check out engineering or was it something that you just sort of naturally discovered yourself would make sense for me? Why don't I go into that? Yeah, I was a bit lucky that that because I was already on the math and science side in school, I think teachers had already kind of mentioned engineering or mechanical. So I think I was a little bit luckier than some that I probably had an idea earlier on. But then again, my my coach on this Odyssey and Mind program was also a bit of a mentor, and he was working as a, a product designer actually, and working in sports equipment and working in consumer products. So I think also very directly had a bit of influence from him. One other, I guess, turning point I would say as far as the sports side of things, uh, I, I just thought I was going to go into engineering, and okay, I went to BU, you know, studied engineering, and then it wasn't until I was graduating, I was pretty close to graduation that. I walked in one day, there was a posting for a job in the golf industry, and it just sounded more interesting than aerospace. So I ended up with a job offer for aerospace and a job offer for golf. Wow. And <laughs> golf sounded more fun and more, you know, something I'm more into. So I kind of chose that path. And and not to make too long of a story of it, I, I only after working there a couple of years in the golf industry, did I kind of connect the dots that I was skiing every weekend. And I had been growing up and I had been during engineering school. I didn't realize that engineers actually worked on things like skis and yeah. all this equipment I was using. And so then after working in the golf industry a few years, I was able to transition to the ski industry and outdoor. And that was for me when my passions really kind of combined of the things I love doing and then the things I got to do for work. Yeah. So. Yeah. I love that. I love that. I mean, there's, there's moments in there, I think along the way where there's some conscious thought that's going towards it, you know, and kind of like, obviously as well as some, some, you know, being fortunate to have people in your life that are kind of guiding you towards it. And it's this combination of the two, I guess that can amount to, to success when you really sort of like get this sort of broad idea of where you'd like to end up and then, uh, and then begin just going after it. So yeah, I really like that story. Well, with that in mind, maybe we could slide on to this new segment here, a Q&A discovery. We can kind of just continue this back and forth. And uh, I was thinking here we could return back to the job itself as far as, you know, giving listeners a, a better idea of what it's all about from, you know, from a process standpoint. And I was thinking it might be fun to kind of hear, you know, some of the steps, at least broadly speaking, of when you are conceptualizing an idea in the beginning, right on through to it being put out into the world. And maybe to add a, a little bit of complexity here to it, um, again, mentioning your brother here and that this notion of industrial design, I'm curious to hear about how somebody like yourself would be interacting with 
him or somebody who's holding that role and how the two of you might be interacting at different points along that journey. Yeah, for sure. And, and so Ray and I obviously were in daily contact in every project we were working together on. So that's obviously nice when you can do that with your brother as well. But I would say that's the typical combination in any consumer product company. I've been in-house at a few and then obviously uh, worked with many from, from the outside. And it's always that combination of the mechanical engineering plus the product design or industrial design. So for many years, I was working with other industrial designers at my couple of in-house jobs, and Ray was working with engineers at his job at Puma. And so it was nice when we could finally just work together uh, instead. So we, we got a little bit lucky in that way as well. I'll get to the process in a minute. One other part of the backstory I would say is that I think there's also somewhat uh, less of a coincidence that we ended up there because growing up together, we were always kind of talking about these things. We were always influenced by each other. Uh, I would visit him at college when he was in art school and design school and hang out with his friends there. And then he would bring me to galleries. And so I think he opened my mind to the more creative side of things, the more artistic side, probably more so than I would have on my own, you know, engineering yeah. Yeah. Uh, style. And then also, obviously, I kind of did the same for him with engineering. You know, oh, he always kind of saw a little bit the technical side through me. So I think we had that nice kind of influence on each other, let's say, for many years before we started working together. In the as far as the process goes, the the process starts very much on his side, so it starts much more creatively and conceptually. So it's it's really on the design side first, where you're kind of trying to open your mind, lateral thinking, coming up with new solutions, and 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 kind of no no solution is a bad one. You know, you're not judging things yet, you're not you know analyzing them yet. So you need to kind of start open minded. I'm involved in some of that, but it's more on his side, and then we start to transition to my side. So then it's a bit more. Okay, now we have our lots of ideas. Let's take our favorites and analyze them and see which would be uh, the best for the application. And you know, look at uh, whether it's cost or durability or materials or manufacturing or whatever the concerns are. And so then we kind of work together to narrow down the list to our final one. Also working with the client if it's a client project. And then we kind of it's a bit more in my camp after that. But at the same time, he's always involved. So we never just throw it over the wall. Yeah, I think we find the key is that we we want to get both of our input, my input earlier on, his input later on. And then when we even get to manufacturing, we bring in the contract manufacturer. They have a, another set of kind of concerns or things we need to solve. And then all three of us are in the conversation. So as long as we're all in the conversation, we have a nice balance of finding what technically works as well as not losing the vision from the design side. And for a consumer product, you really need both. If you're missing one of those two, then then it won't it won't sell, it won't, it won't uh, be a yeah, success. Yeah. And that's that again, I guess in hearing it from you right now and then I'll speaking with your brother, I think like that would probably be part of your secret sauce, essentially, right? I mean, in terms of what's helped propel your company. Because oftentimes, at least the way it was explained to me, is that if there is a gap in that communication in between, like that's where products fail. Like that is the difference maker right there. And it's Oftentimes in these bigger companies, there is that gap or some critical piece of information isn't relayed or it's not communicated in the right way necessarily. And uh, again, that can make all the difference. Whereas with you guys, I mean, one, being brothers, knowing each other fairly intimately in that sense, but then also to how each other work and being exposed to one another's worlds and respecting that. I'm sure that definitely amounts to a lot of the success that you've had. Maybe you could speak to that point as well. Just once more, we could kind of revisit that. Does that make sense? Is that? Absolutely. And I would say respect is a good word for it. Just having an appreciation yeah. of each other's worlds where, you know, again, a lot of people that maybe I went to school with, if you aren't exposed to that and you work on machines, there's a lot of engineers who work on machines and that's great. It's a mechanical thing that yeah. you just need to make the best mechanical thing. 
But in our world with consumer products, there are so many human factors. And so having appreciation for kind of the emotional side of it, the human side of it, which I get from him, is kind of necessary in, in consumer product. Yeah, sure. yeah. That's kind of what stood out when you were just telling me that. You know, I had this vision, this stereotype in my mind of somebody, you know, within engineering who doesn't necessarily expose themselves to these types of ways of thinking or, you know, visions of the world and whatnot, and then vice versa as well. Maybe somebody, a designer who's not really stepping into the world of mechanical engineering or fully understanding the, the you know, the challenges that might exist there. But when you do, again, sort of not only respect it, but dive into it and, and, and try to expose yourself to these ideas and fully, you know, take it all in as best you can, that's where the magic occurs. So yeah, it would seem that you guys have something special going on there as far as that goes. You know, maybe we could slide in this other question here. I, I do have, you know, this question as far as, again, the relationship with you and your brother, you know, I keep bringing this up, but I think it's really interesting. It's an interesting dynamic to all of this. And uh, again, the success that you've had together, maybe you could share with uh, listeners some of the products that you have come up with that have been put into the market to kind of add even more clarity to, to the work that you guys do. Yeah, for sure. We've been lucky enough to work with people like Tiger Woods and Vijay Singh and Usain Bolt. And, you know, that's where being part of a brand or working with a brand that has those relationships, you know, you you get to kind of, it, it does kind of springboard you to a, a different level of people you have access to that we would have that we would have on our own. But that's been, never mind, uh, interesting and, and pretty unique. But again, learning from the best and kind of having chances to, to test uh, these products with the best people and kind of see how they approach that has been great. So that's kind of one side of it. On some of the specific products themselves, the Vapor climbing helmet, uh, which was a black diamond product, never minded it, the sales numbers kind of go with it, but it was really nice to make something for an industry of rock climbing where people didn't typically wear helmets, or let's say a lot of people didn't wear helmets because they were heavy and bulky and annoying. And so we basically set out to make one that was lighter and more comfortable and people would actually wear. And there's a lot of rock climbers who actually wore that helmet who didn't previously wear a helmet that, that at all. That sounds crazy so to me. Sorry kind of, to interrupt there. That, that, that they weren't wearing yeah. helmets and doing rock climbing. <laughs> but anyway, yeah. yeah. Totally. Anyway. Totally. Personality or just, you know, part of the sport. Yeah, world, it, yeah. was, it wasn't really as, as common. And, the, you know, the same thing with skiing 20, 30 years ago where a lot of people didn't wear helmets. And as the design got cooler, instead of a motorcycle helmet, they were something designed for skiing. As they got lighter weight and better materials and more comfortable and warmer, all those things, then the adoption curve went up. So it was interesting with climbing. That was our same goal was to try to uh, make the adoption uh, go up just for people's safety. So that was never mind, you know, successful on the, the number of units sold and all that, but it was it was really fulfilling uh, on that one. Another one, Z-Pole, a black diamond product, which, you know, trekking poles don't sound that interesting, but it was a very revolutionary way to make a trekking pole. And it's fun when something starts as it was only going to sell 7,000 in a very niche market and it ended up exploding to be, you know, half of their product line and sell, I don't know, three, four, 500,000 per year. One of those kind of examples of things that, yeah, when you, when you work on these things, that's quite fulfilling just yeah, to see, of course. Uh, you, you see it on the trails everywhere you go, you know, you see these things being used and it's kind of fun to be in different countries of the world and kind of seeing your, your, your things used around that the world. Be, yeah. And we, we had, you know, just recently this, this past Olympics, there was a shoe that was used to win the 200 uh, meter gold medals so that obviously that kind of stuff is, is really exciting. There's a startup sound burner we've worked with wearables for musicians, a bit more of a niche kind of a product, but same thing. They've sold over a hundred thousand units. And for a startup to do that without having the kind of brand backing it's it's just fun to be part of those kind of no projects doubt, yeah. no doubt i mean uh yeah the level of fulfillment that you'd be getting from that and outside of some of the uh the awards i'm sure that come with these i mean again as i mm -hmm. you know let off the show introduced 
some of the awards, Backpacker Magazine, Outside Magazine, Red Dot Design Award, like popular science. These are big ones. Like, no joke. You know, it strikes me as like an accomplishment for anyone to get a product into the market. The first thing, right? That's the first step. Like that must be a gauntlet just for that to occur. And then not only that, but to to, to see it have success, to, to see all these units being sold. And then the recognition that comes within the industry, having public figures utilizing the products. Yeah, I mean, the level of fulfillment must certainly be there, 100%. As far as all of that goes, though, and again, returning to your focus, mainly being on wearable technologies and the mechanical engineering design perspective, it must be a challenge, though, also. You're like some of these athletes, let's return to that point. Some of the athletes, like the demands that they must have of the product must be, uh, yeah, must be a, bit of a difficult sort of layer to add on to, to all that you're doing. You'd speak to that. It would be, uh, I think, interesting for listeners to hear. Yeah, for sure. And I guess a couple of comments. One would be, there's a, a, a kind of a, a famous quote from Johnny Ives, which was, I think is a very appropriate. And they asked him, you know, what are you surprised about after doing this for 20 years at Apple, you know, head designer at Apple. And he said at the time, he said, what surprises him was that it's still that hard every time you think, okay, if, if they're the best in the world at doing it, and they've done it for 20 years in a row, you'd think when they went to make the next iPhone, the next this, next that, it would be easy. And, and, and the point is, anytime you're doing anything new, which is every project, it's it's surprisingly hard. There's always a new challenge, always, you know, uh, hurdles and, and things to figure out. So I guess that's 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 kind of one comment. You know, I also say, especially with kind of athletic equipment and, and wearable technology, the, the the challenge there is there's just so many requirements. So you can imagine the the durability and the typical kind of mechanical requirements, materials and strength and that's all there. But then you also have the human body. There's nothing flat on the human body. So now you have to have stuff that's comfortable, you know, different parts of the body, which, you know, introduces a whole set of ergonomic concerns. And, you know, you have uh, uh, like the the look people, you know, again, the emotional side, the human side, you have, you know, aesthetics and color and, you know, everything on that is quite important to people and, and whether they'll actually buy it or not. Of course, performance, then you get into things like, you know, even branding and marketing and distribution. And yeah, there's just so many things that go into it and and have to come together to make it successful. So like you say, just to get it off the ground, just to launch it, a lot of things have to go well. And then, you know, to, to kind of into the award level, you know, everything has to kind of come together just right. Mm, yeah. Yeah. I love that. Again, like that sense of fulfillment must just be off the charts. You know, when you, you, you take a, a step back and you're looking at this, this whole thing, this whole process, the journey you've been on, the journey of one particular product from just an idea all the way through and then seeing where it evolves to must be, uh, yeah, must run deep, that, that, that sense of fulfillment. All right, well, let's go into this water cooler story segment here. And here I just ask uh, guests to indulge listeners with a story related to their work. And I'm really eager to hear what uh, what you have for us today, Rob. A couple of things come, come to mind here. I would say one, and I referenced the, the climbing helmet earlier. I would say probably a few of the most touching moments, especially one of them in my career was when we worked on that vapor helmet and we got a helmet back that had been through a really nasty fall and this really long letter about how it saved his life. And the guy was very touched and thankful. And it was really interesting to have that personal connection at the end, you know, years after you made something and then to uh, have a, a, a face and a name kind of go along with not just a number of units sold or something, but, you know, his words of what he was saying about, you know, wearing it and how it saved his life. And, yeah. you know, you can imagine that's that's pretty touching. And then seeing the the thing, you know, in a pile of pieces at the end, but it worked, you know just like the testing said it would. So it's, you know, we've had a number of those, I think, I think especially with helmets has, has been 
kind of some of the more touching mm. stories mm. Uh, for me. So I guess that's kind of one side of the maybe water cooler story. Another kind of just more funny kind of just little part of engineering you don't think about. And again, for people thinking about going into engineering or into sports engineering or consumer product, there was a funny moment. I was only a few years out of college and uh, we were working with Vijay Singh. And at that time, he was number one golfer in the world. He had just passed Tiger Woods. So, you know, it was a big deal to be working with him for a few days on the driving range. And there were a couple of us engineers. Our, our job for the day, for the few days, was to stand in the field and mark where his balls landed. So he was trying different drivers <laughs> that we had designed. And he's hitting drives at us. We're standing out in the field <laughs> with a bunch of cones and trying to, like, see the balls come down and avoid, you know, getting hit. Not getting and then knocked mark, out. Mark, <laughs> Yeah, exactly. By the number one golfer in the world. Uh, and then mark where the ball landed. And then like, you know, we could record a bunch of data about dispersion and distance and kind of see which club outperformed the other. And yeah. This was before some of the launch monitors they have now, right. but it, it was pretty funny to to, to get uh, the balls driven at you by the number one golfer in the world. Yeah, so. yeah. That's that a fun one. That, 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 that's, that added some variety to your day, I would say. <laughs> yeah, and, and it, there was it was scientific. You know, we were still measuring and you know marking the the spots and oh, getting yeah. some data from it. So <laughs> yeah, 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 that's a fun one. No, oh. you know, I like both those stories there because they they illustrate two different sort of like takes, two different sort of impacts that the, the the work can have on somebody, like the experiences that you're putting yourself into or being exposed to, but then also too, I mean, the impact that the product design can have on the world and. Uh, and again, returning that that sense of fulfillment in, in the work that you do. So yeah, thanks for sharing those. I really like both of them. We are flying through this talk here, Rob. We're heading around the bend into this last segment, a crystal ball segment. As the name implies, we're looking towards the future, trans predictions, so on and so forth. And uh, I, I do understand that outside of the work that you do for clients, that you and your brother are working on something, something a little bit more personal, you know, your own sort of product, which is this um, cycling shoe, a 3D printed custom carbon cycling shoe and uh the, the startup is called lore and uh i'd love to hear a little bit more about this i mean you're, the website you know checking this out provocatively states the lore one the name of this launch product is being the world's fastest cycling shoe so i'm really eager to hear uh, more about this it's interesting as you say this is the first time we've been part of a startup so as opposed to just having client work and doing just our piece of the the process and then kind of stepping out it's it's nice to kind of be Part of the founding team and and like you say have a bit more skin in the game and we kind of always thought we might do this where we would basically for a number of years work with startups and basically from the outside just kind of learn what we can and kind of see that whole startup ecosystem and process and then eventually once we felt strongly about something to try to partake so we did that for about 10 years working with startups and now it's fun to to kind of try our hand uh, as well as a couple of the other founders who kind of bring the, the business side and sales and marketing kind of the other parts of the process as well so yeah, it's it's been fun to work on. As far as the technology goes, I mean, it's it's exciting as well. Like we we always prefer to work on revolutionary, real game changing, truly different yeah. things. And this is absolutely that, which is kind of why we were one of the reasons we were so excited about it. Brand new three D printing materials and processes that allow custom footwear, that custom hard shell footwear that can then make the performance uh, much higher. So yeah, we're seeing performance gains. 10 to 20% wow. over typical shoes. Wow. And that's pretty unheard yeah. of in, in, in sports to get anything above single digits. So we, we know that the, the performance and the technology is there. So never mind, is it really exciting on this application? And we have obviously a bunch of ideas of where it can go from here. But you know, for personally, it's also exciting because 3D printing and additive manufacturing is really one of the waves of the future. So obviously there's you know uh, other things as well, AI and, and different things, but in, in product, you know, in physical product, which is kind of what we work in, 
that's one of the most exciting things happening in this space. And people have been talking about it for a lot, a long time. And finally, I would say the materials are finally ready. They're they're strong enough. The costs have come down enough that it's, it's only in high end product, but it's still ready for actual production using 3D prints instead of just prototyping. So from our side, it's been really exciting to delve into that world and just basically learn everything there is to learn about yeah. 3D printing. And you know, we had to basically become experts in additive manufacturing for this project. So not only is it good for the product and the company, but personally, I think you know we're happy to expand our tool set and kind of our experience and knowledge. And again, it's just a, a field that's going to keep growing. So it's it's been fun to be uh, kind of getting deeper into that. Yeah, world. yeah. A couple of things that struck me there. One, I'd like to return to that point of you guys working with startups, at least initially, and, and helping them you know, along their journey and launching products and whatnot. And was that something I just want to make sure I had this right? Like you guys had this vision that eventually you want to create your own product. So strategically working with these startups for five, 10 years or so, you would, by way of, of just the involvement in these projects, would be learning about how to do this for yourselves one day. Was that, was that, did I hear that correctly? Is that? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's like a lot of things where it wasn't the direct or the only kind of motivation, yeah. but we definitely talked about that yeah, 10 yeah, years yeah. ago as kind of one of the strategies, one of the nice. ideas. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, yeah, the startup world is, is a whole nother animal. So it's kind of nice to, you know, see it from the outside as we're kind of watching other founders, what they do well, what they yeah. do poorly, the right decisions, wrong decisions. It, it, I guess another thing I would say is that it's it's also really, it's obviously very risky, right? It's the most risky kind of a, a business venture. So, I, you know, there's always this trade-off between if you're part of a startup, you may have a payday someday, but you may not get a salary for years. And it's hard to have a family or, you know, support your cost of living on that. So we also kind of wanted to create a situation where the client work and the contract work would basically pay the bills. And then we could kind of have not only learn about startups, but then eventually put up one foot into the startup yeah. world so that we kind of, you know, are in the business world and we have a bit of an investment and, you know, something exciting there, but find that balance where we're not a hundred percent into some, some maybe someday thing. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. we can kind of keep the lights on as we go. Yeah, How clever. Yeah. I really like that. And I think it's you know, inspirational as well for listeners who are, you know, might have that leaning or that slant or like that thought of, well, maybe one day, this is an area I'd like to go, you know, from mechanical design engineering into something like that. So it's, it's a nice sort of strategic approach to it all. And then the second thing here, as far as, you know, this experience of, of working with this product, your own product, it must be a bit of a freeing one to a certain extent. I mean, like, obviously, with Anomaly, you have your clients and you're serving their needs and, you know, what, what they're after and what they want. But now it's just on you guys. I mean, you're, you're free to, to, to go wherever you want with this. I and mean, that must be, I had a whole different sort of wrinkle to it all, I guess is what I'm getting at there. Yeah, for sure. And, and we, we love the founding team. There's, there's a few others as well, in addition to Ray and I. So it's nice to be kind of on the same page and we are all making the decisions together. So it's nice to be part of that guiding team instead of just receiving direction yeah. or decisions from, like you say, an external party. So I, I think it is freeing, but it also depends who you're working with. And we're, we're, we're lucky that we, we definitely, that was part of the reason to, to join as well is that we definitely see eye to eye and, and kind of are all striving for the same thing. So, so that's been uh, fun. And then, you know, it's, it's, it's a bit different as well to kind of be growing a team and, you know, we step into the management role a little bit where we do have uh, more people that are that are working for us, and so to be kind of let's call it the director level, where you're, you know, able to do more things with with the help of some others, uh, and that's kind of been a fun fun aspect to it as well. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. I can see that. All right, 
Well, we've just blasted through this conversation. I can't believe we're, uh, we're we're nearing the end of it here. But Rob, I mean, I've really, really enjoyed it. And I think we've painted this really nice picture for people that might be interested in this field, want to know more about it. And uh, yeah, I can't thank you enough for all your time and, uh, and insights. It's fun. It's fun to talk about. I always enjoy talking about these things. Well, for those interested in learning more about Rob and his work or his company, Anomaly, you can check him out on LinkedIn. You can also visit the website Anomaly, A-N-A-M-A-L-Y.com. You can also find him on Instagram and the startup that we mentioned we spoke about, Lore, the cycling shoe, lore.cc is where you can find them. And for reference, all this information will be included in the show notes. If you like today's show, please be sure to share, you know, tell a friend, tell three friends, tell five friends, you know, get the message out. I really, really would appreciate that. You can also rate, review, and subscribe wherever you access your podcast. And then finally, don't forget to head on over to YouTube. In the last year, I did launch a channel over there. You'll be able to take in the conversation, the video conversation, and I will have some imagery attached to the actual talk. So if you do go over there, you'll notice, I mean, the, the program needs a bit of love on that, uh, on that platform. So hit that subscribe button. It would really, really mean a lot. And then finally, don't forget to join us on the next episode of Life As A, where we'll continue to explore and unearth the details of professions and the people behind them. I'm your host, Christopher Schoenwald. Until next time, stay curious about life and living.